chapters 20 and 21 of Luke. And then uh, we're going to just hear the word together. We're going to read. I've got some people to help me read. I'll have them up uh, here in a little bit. Uh, But we're just going to read through uh, chapter 22 and 23 together. And then we're going to come take communion. And then uh, after that, we'll read chapter 24. Everybody say amen for chapter 24. Uh, so we'll, we are, uh, I'm going to say a few things just to kind of wrap up our, our, our study of Luke. Um, and then I think the only way to do service to this is I, I just want to get out of the way and let the words of God come forth. Let the, the truth of what Jesus did by his own choice uh, in laying down his life, uh, we can just behold that together. And we can just lift Jesus up. And when he is lifted up, he draws everyone to himself. Uh, and so he, he's going to be lifted up in this uh, scripture tonight. He's going to be nailed to a cross. And in that, just like we sang, uh, we see that truly this is the Son of God. Uh, we, it's, it's been pointing toward this. And so now that it's here, you know, just like John the Baptist, I, I must decrease. <laughs> Let him increase. Uh, so I felt pretty strongly that I've, I'm not going to touch these couple chapters here on the on the passion and crucifixion. We're going to let them speak for themselves. And I've got some people to help me read. Uh, but if you would, uh, turn to 19, chapter 19, verse 28. Now, just as a reminder, we have just concluded the journey to Jerusalem. We are now drawing near to Jerusalem. And I'm going to start reading in chapter in verse 28, chapter 19. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Um, I'm sorry, put a finger there. I want to read a couple scriptures from the Old Testament first. Okay, uh, The first one is in Malachi 3. So keep a finger in Luke 19. 19. Malachi, do you remember that, where that is? That is the last book of the Old Testament. And I believe it was Christmas Eve that we talked about Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And the second verse I want to read is Zechariah, one book before Malachi. Just flip one page over. Zechariah 9, verse 9. And I'm just setting some of the Old Testament prophetic stage for this passage here in Luke. 
for, for the, the entrance into Jerusalem. Okay? So there in Malachi, it says that he's coming to his temple. And here in Zechariah, it says, Rejoice, uh, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Father, I pray that you would bless our time in the word tonight. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, cause it to come to life. Open our hearts, Lord. Be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. So when he said these things, you can go back to Luke 19. When he said these things, he went on ahead and he drew near. And uh, he sends two disciples to go untie a colt. Okay. In verse 36, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is activating all these, these hopes of the Messiah. He, we've been traveling toward Jerusalem. He's coming. This is it. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This echoes the, the angels back in the beginning of Luke. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Why? Why would the very stones cry out? Because all of creation is groaning for the redemption. All, the, all creation has been waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. And here he comes. And if, if you're silent, listen, you're not the only ones who are waiting for the king to come to the temple. Creation itself is longing for what's about to happen. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This is not the triumphant second coming. This is what we will learn later has been foretold through all the Old Testament. This is the rejection of the Son of Man. This is the, the hour of darkness. And when he drew near to the city and he saw the city... Okay? And remember, in Luke, he's been, he's been talking about seeing and really seeing. We see with the eyes of the flesh, but when God lets us see, we, we really see in an, an internal way. And Jesus sees in an internal way. He sees in a, in a way that, that corresponds with reality. He says he weeps over the city. And he says, would that you... Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. You're singing about peace. Peace on earth. And he says, you don't understand what makes for peace. You think that it's, it's, a, it's an uprising. You think that it's an institution. You think that it's everything that you've made my temple. It's nowhere close to what it is. And he weeps and he says, I, he is grieved that his people have not understood it. He says, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The blindness remains. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set a barricade around you. And, and this is foretelling the, the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He says, listen, this city as you know it, this temple as you know it, is going to come crashing down. 
And what you see, what you think is the answer, is not the answer. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You have no idea what it is that's happening right now. Okay? And he goes straight to, he entered the temple. Okay, now this is where he's been going the whole time. This is where he was hanging out when he was 12. Jesus is like, within him is this, in the book of Luke, it's like there's this, uh, there's this magnetic <laughs> compass toward Jerusalem and the temple. Okay? And it's even there in, when he's 12 years old, he finds himself drawn to the temple. And there, I must be here. This is my father's house. And here finally he is entering the temple. And surely, as it says in, in, in Malachi, he purifies. He sits as a, as a refiner. And he refines the temple. He has come to the temple and he begins to drive out all of the sham and mockery that it has become. And so until he is, until he is crucified, Jesus sets up shop in the temple. And it says, and he was teaching daily in the temple. Okay, so this is what it's been, all been about. Okay. Now it's interesting that, and and we don't have time to get into this, but I'll, I'll just say briefly, there's there's no there's no consensus about how long Holy Week was. <laughs> we say it was one week, right? He entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and was crucified a few days later. It could have been it could have been a longer stretch of time that he was in Jerusalem, and in Luke especially, we get the sense that well he was in the, he was in the temple daily. And he was teaching. And it seems in Luke, it sounds like it was a longer stretch of time between his entry and his crucifixion. Uh, but we in the church, the liturgical calendar has compressed it to a week. So don't read that into scripture. He could have been there longer. Um, some people think he entered at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in like November. And then Passover would be in the spring. So a number of months. I don't want to get into all that. Uh, but suffice it to say that Jesus sets up shop in the temple. He goes and he drives it out, and then he sets up shop. He says, this is where I'm hanging out, and it's going to be from here that you're going to take me and, and, and kill me. Okay. One day, so the summary here, Luke's summary, is verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. So it's in this section we see these, these people who eventually turn on him. There are people who really want to hear him. And the only reason he's not instantly crucified or, or, or carried off or, or killed is the leading men fear the mob. They're populists. Okay? They fear the people. And the people are hanging on Jesus' every word. And so, obviously... The, the people come in, not the people, the, the chief priests come in, and they say, what gives you the right? Who are you to come into our house and start saying all these things? And so they start to challenge him by questioning his authority. By what authority do you do this? Okay, so chapter 20 is really taken up with this idea of Jesus setting himself up as now the authority. The way that Jesus is teaching, this is the kind of word that needs to be going forth from the temple, not whatever's been going on. This racket that's been happening, okay? This exchange of 
of money and, and all this stuff. Jesus is doing away with all that. And he says, my temple is to be a place where the word goes forth, where salvation comes, the house of prayer. And this is what I am here to establish. I'm here to let you know that what you have turned the temple into is false. It's totally contrary. And he says, it's like a vineyard that a farmer leased out to tenants. And when he goes to collect the fruit, he finds that the, the tenants beat him and send him away. He sends messenger after messenger, and they, they beat everyone that comes to this vineyard. And finally, the owner says, you know what, I'll send my beloved son. Right? That's, not, that's, that's no uh, obscure illusion. Right? It's obvious what's happening here in this story. I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. When the tenants saw him, they said, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So what's happening here? They're getting possessive. They're, the Pharisees are possessive of the temple and all of this stuff. Why? Because their hearts are set on mammon. They're lovers of money. They don't want any, any disruption with what's going on. Meanwhile, they're missing the very fact that their time of visitation is here. God is in the flesh staring them in the face. And they will not receive him. So he says, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. So they're condemning themselves. That's not, that's not us. Let's go kill this guy. <laughs> it totally is you, right? You're proving it right here with your actions. So they watched him and sent spies and who pretended to be sincere. Okay? And listen to this flattery. Verse 21. They asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Hey, Jesus. Hey, buddy. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar? But he perceived their craftiness. Sees right through it. He says, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said, rendered Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but were marveling at his answer and became silent. Whose likeness and inscription is on the coin? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, give that to Caesar. And what's unsaid is here, here is, whose likeness and inscription do you bear? You who are created in the image of God after his likeness. Well, then render unto God the things that are God's, your entire self, your entire existence. Give that to God. This piece of copper, ching, yeah, pay your taxes. Caesar's face is on it, give it to Caesar. Who do you, who were you created to live for? Whose likeness and inscription do you bear? Now render unto God the things that are God's. You see what he's saying here? You, your whole existence is due to God. 
So then they try and stump him again uh, about the, this convoluted question, and this is like straight out of, you know, whoever had, if you've ever had like intro to philosophy or something, and they just come up with these ridiculous scenarios, um, like, all right, if you're on a train and it's going toward five people, but you have the opportunity to save one person, all these like ethical dilemmas that they put you in, this is what they're trying to do with Jesus. Okay, uh, there's this guy. He was married, but then his wife died, and then he got married again. Then his wife died. So then when they get to heaven after the resurrection, who's his real wife? Ooh, we're going to get him with this one. And basically he, he, he brushes it off. And he says, you can't, imp- you can't superimpose your understanding of the way the world works on heaven. Right? The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, and that's the way it goes for now. But if you knew anything about heaven, you would understand how preposterous your question is. Okay, So basically, eh, move on. <laughs> That's what he says to them. But then he continues to establish his authority. right? And by, by debunking them, they can't find any reason that he's wrong. And he keeps, he keeps, he keeps sending them away, stumped. Okay, And he says to his disciples, listen, you got to watch out for these guys. They're all in, they're in it all for the image. They're just walking around. They like greetings and long robes and marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues. They just they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These guys are all about superficiality. They're going to receive the greater condemnation. And then I think this is the crucial moment when Jesus is in the temple. This is what it all comes down to. And there's so much in the book of Luke that's been building up to this exact moment. Now, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins my Bible has a footnote that says that this was about one 128th of a denarius, which was a day's wages. One 128th of a day's wages. It's like a penny. It's like less than a penny. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. He sees it, and he sees it for what it is. They all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is exactly what he's been saying the whole time. If you're going to come after me, you need to put in all you have to live on. You cannot follow me out of abundance. You cannot include me in to your agenda I am not going to be the cherry on your Sunday. You need to put in all you have to live on. And if you do, it doesn't matter how much it is. It's everything. And it's more than all of these people who are coming by, dropping their big big offerings in the, in the box very visibly. He says, it's, it's, if you put in all you have to live on, you've given more than any of these guys. This is the essence of call to discipleship. This is the essence of what Luke has been trying to get through to us. That to follow Jesus 
you have to give up everything. And all of this world is going to be grabbing at you, saying, hang on to me, hang on to me, hang on to me, take me with you. You have to deny all of it and put in your very last penny. And then he begins to foretell, he says, listen, you see this temple. While some of them, he said, all these things that you see, there's going to come a day when none of this is even left standing. Right? Your hope is not in this temple. Your hope is in the one who's standing right before you. Your hope is in the eternal life that I am offering you, the eternal life that I have come to bring. So he gives some teaching about um, the destruction of Jerusalem and how everything that you see here, everything that your hope is in, it's all coming to an end. Something much greater is now here. Okay? And, and Luke is concerned with this. Not, you know, we're not doing away with the temple. We're not doing away with the city of God. Jesus is, is transforming it. He's redeeming it. He's purifying it. And, and, and in conscripting it to the purpose for which it was originally intended. Listen, all these rocks are coming tumbling down. The cornerstone is now here. All this is being erased. Now we start here and build on this. All of these stones are coming tumbling down. The cornerstone is being laid in Zion, and it's me, and it's my death. Right? It's not just, all right, I've come to claim my authority. He's coming to, to claim his authority, but he's doing it by laying down his life, saying, this is what I have come to do. And this is who my father is. And this is the life that I'm calling you to live as well. Um, so what I want to underline here is the fact that, that Luke is very concerned with, and he has been the whole time, his whole story points toward Jerusalem and the temple where Jesus goes and he lays down his life and the cornerstone gets laid. But then remember in Acts, it begins to spread. And where all the force was going toward Jerusalem, now it's all going to be moving outward from Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, listen, wait here. I'm doing something here. There's a work to be accomplished here. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Then you're going to be my witnesses. And it's going to go forth in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the cornerstone is now being laid. And uh, tonight... I just want to, we're just going to read this now. We're going to watch as the cornerstone gets laid. We're going to watch the Son of Man lay down his life uh, so that true life, true salvation could come into the world and that the true purpose of God, the true house of God on earth could be set up. And uh, so if, if you guys who are going to be reading, Tom, uh, Amber, and, and Matt, if you guys want to come, just sit on this front pew over here. Um, I've got the first section. And then as I'm reading, you guys can just make your way down here. Um, so, all right, you ready? Uh, op open up your ears. Open up your hearts to this. Uh, this is the gospel. This is the truth of God. This is the obedience of the Son of Man to the will of the Father. And this is what brings us salvation. All right. At the end of, of chapter 21, every day, he was teaching in the temple. 
But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called, called Olivet. And in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Chapter 22. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him the money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where would you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room that I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and we had, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
the cock will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. He touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour in the power of darkness." Then they seized him and led him away, and bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat there in the light, looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another, indeed, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him. As they beat him, they blindfolded him and kept asking, 
him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things to him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you a king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man, whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some signs done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid, splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other after that day. For before, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one of them, as one who was misleading the people. And after, ex- ex- after examining him before you, Behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who has been thrown into prison with insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, from whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren. 
and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Well, we're going to come to the table and remember Jesus. Luke has written for us an orderly account, beloved of God, that we might have certainty according the things that, according the, uh, that we might have certainty uh, of the things that have been accomplished among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, that we might have certainty 
concerning the things that we have been taught. Come to the table, and uh, if, if, there is, if there is sin in your life that you need to repent of, behold the man upon a cross. He has forgiven our sins. He has given us a way to the Father in his own body, his own blood. This was the man who even Gentile pagans were declaring they couldn't find any fault in him. And he still went, and he still went. And even from the cross, he was forgiving people and extending grace. And so this is the God that has come to us. This is salvation. This is what God was working for generation after generation. Waiting. Sending messengers. Forerunners. And he has come. And as a man, he humbled himself. To the point of death on a cross. And there doesn't need to be anything said besides that. And if that doesn't grip your heart... You need Jesus to come and, and, and touch you because you're blind and you're, you don't know who it is that's right in front of you. And so as we come, let's remember Jesus, that for our sin, he was pierced and wounded. For our transgression, that for our healing, he endured stripes and suffered. And so let's just come uh, in, in deep humility and gratitude. Uh, when we're done, we're going to read chapter 24. But I want to call us to a time of mourning our sin and remembering that our forgiveness cost the Son of God his blood. But in that, the Father is glorified. And in that, we receive life. Amen. So let's come to the table. Uh, if you want to, if you want to remain just in prayer for a little while before you come, as examine your heart. Uh, if you need to to repent for anything, uh, let the Holy Spirit do its work. Uh, but then come and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. Father, we uh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you were obedient. That you laid down your life. That you journeyed to Jerusalem and you set your face and you didn't waver. And you knew what you were doing. And I thank you that now we have life because you laid down yours. And you call us to do the same thing. So as we come to the table tonight, I pray that you bless the bread and the cup. That it would be for us the body and blood of Jesus. Lord, these words that were written by your servant Luke. Uh, Lord, let them uh, come to life for us here tonight. Draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.